generally I feel quite strong and I just keep going. And this was a time when I needed to say, actually, you just need to stop and think about what's happening to you and give it some time and attention. Welcome to Voice in Education, the podcast. I'm Kathleen Kushney, founder of Voice in Education, a senior lead in education, trainer and coach. My mission is to help new leaders and teachers aspiring to leadership become confident in their ability to lead others successfully. Whether you're a new or aspiring leader, this podcast will help you to become confident in your ability to lead others successfully. We discuss key themes in education and personal development and how this can impact educational leadership. Let's move that needle from confusion and overwhelm to clarity and inspiration. This series is a collaboration with the MTPT project, Maternity Teacher, Paternity Teacher. All nine episodes of the Motherhood and Leadership series are sponsored by Teach First Networks. Find out details about all the networks on offer at www.teachfirst.org.uk forward slash networks. Please note that this episode discusses fertility issues, including miscarriage. If you want to avoid this part of the conversation, please skip this section. The exact times are given in the show notes. Jade is a deputy head teacher at St Dunstan's College, an independent school in South East London. Jade is responsible for pastoral care and safeguarding and teaching French. Jade lives in London with her husband, two children and a menagerie of pets. So welcome, Jade. It's lovely to have you here in the summer holidays. Thank you for your time, first of all. Can you just start with your quotes that you feel resonates? Uh, yeah, so I didn't pick a, a literary great as such, but um, it was one that resonated me as an icon who is a mother and a leader. Um, so it's a quote from Michelle Obama, and it simply says, when you've worked hard and done well and walked through that doorway of opportunity, you do not slam it shut behind you. You reach back and you give other folks the same chances that helped you succeed. Yeah. And she's doing that, isn't she, really? I'm thinking about the foundations and things that she set up. So why is that important to you? Or why does that resonate? I think the reason it resonates is because that is what education did for me uh, when I was a child. I had a loving family, but still difficult circumstances that I grew up in. And education really changed the, the outcomes of my life. And it really could have gone either way um, and so that's why I've ended up being really passionate about giving those opportunities to other young people who may be you know facing challenges of their own with their families of different kinds but trying to show them that education is is an exit route it's a it's a way to change your future story and so you know whether that's education in terms of working with children or actually leadership in education and working with developing, you know, adults, people, which is something that I also spend a lot of time doing. I think it's really, really important that we do appreciate what we have, but also reach back and try and bring people along with us. Hmm. Okay, so let's start there then. So it's talking about bringing people back to where you are in terms of um, supporting others. How do you do that? I think just being really open to the fact that everyone is on their own journey, everyone has their own different challenges and being a human leader, I think is something that women in particular can really excel at. And, you know, you don't want to be robotic. You don't want to assume that everybody, 
you know, can reach exactly the same standard at exactly the same time in exactly the same way. People are going to take different routes and managing and leading staff is something that, you know, I didn't go into education to do that. I went into education to work with children, but it's ended up being a real privilege and something that I would say is gives me my most job satisfaction is actually working with my teams and helping them to progress and helping them to be the best versions of themselves, but understanding that there will be setbacks. There will be times when they are human. There will be times when they fail. There will be times when I fail to be as good a leader as I want to be for them. But we all have an understanding that that's part of the process. And I think I find that really rewarding. Hmm. And talking about the rewarding, you said that you find that most rewarding. What's Just out of interest, what's the difference between that reward that you get from leading others as opposed to perhaps pupils in school? The difference is is that the the children are at an earlier point in their development compared to the adults. So I think with the adults, you can see that they are perhaps closer to you in the journey and it feels very familiar to you because you've walked that pathway more recently. Whereas leading the pupils, there's much more raw potential. It feels like you can see, you know, how they could become a million different things with the adults they've perhaps chosen certainly for this decade say to become a certain thing and to work on that with children you know there are 50 different pathways spread in front of them um so I think the excitement there is to try and help them select the pathway and best prepare them for whichever pathway they want to go on with the adults you're working on the pathway that they are on and trying to develop them in that way so I think that's the key difference Hmm. Good answer. Yeah, I think I agree. I agree with um, the points that you've made. And speaking about pathways, so I know that you've taken two different pathways in in terms of the two different journeys that you've had. Can you discuss your journey from, you know, state schools into the independent schools? Yeah, so I personally went to a grammar school and was a staunch believer in that when I was a child growing up because it gave me the opportunities I had um, to go on to university. And then when I decided to train to be a teacher, my first placement was in an independent school and I was absolutely gutted because I really didn't want to do that. I wanted to, you know, work with the inner city children who were deprived and I was not interested in teaching in an independent school. And I think doing the placement under duress was actually really enjoyable. I learned a lot. The school was brilliant. My mentor was a really inspirational woman. And so that really changed my view about there being a big divide between state um, and independent. However, after that, my next placement was in an inner city state school and I took my first uh, job in an inner city state school as well. Um, And it was an amazing school, but very deprived, dealing with a lot of gang issues, drug issues, you know, violence unsupported SEND so it was a really challenging environment to work in and I um, stayed there for about six years then moved on to another similar school in a different uh, area of London and I think you know I loved it on the one hand I loved working with the children but by that point I had become a mother myself and I found it really quite challenging to have my own child at home and also feel that I was the mother to some of my children at school um, because I was ahead of year um, in both schools. And you do have that feeling of responsibility towards those children. And I cared so deeply about those children. 
but it was having quite an impact on me because I, I was finding it difficult to, to balance the care I needed to show for my own child and also these children who essentially were motherless at school. And I started to think, I'm not sure if this is sustainable anymore because I always cared, but I cared in a different way once I was a parent. I could empathise with the parents as well in a different way, actually. And so I was going to leave education. That was about six years ago. And I said, you know, I'm done. I've given what I can. I don't think I can do it anymore. And so I applied for two different jobs within education. One was a startup school. So, you know, literally building it from the bricks up. And one was an independent school. And I thought, well, maybe one of these will just give me another lease of life in the sector. And I secured the one in an independent school, which was as an assistant head teacher. And yeah, I've been there for six, just over six years now. So it really worked. And that has been an incredible experience. St Dunstan's is quite a different independent school. It's very liberal and, you know, it's very forward thinking. It's very open to change and it's really change my views about what an independent school can be and I've ended up sending my own child there as well which again compared to my childhood is just something I never could have dreamed of and it's really shown me that there shouldn't be a divide children are children I would hate for someone to think that my own child should be treated differently whether or not she went to the state primary or the independent prep school she's still who she is And so I think that journey really taught me that actually schools are schools, children are children. We all deal with the same problems, actually. Yeah, yeah. And so thinking about when, you know, when you were in a state school and, you know, like you said, to become a mother and it was a bit too much because you almost felt like you were mothering the children. And I can can relate to that. (laughs) So now that you're in an independent school, I was wondering what what differences do you notice between the leadership as such? Because before, I'm I'm assuming you correct me if I'm wrong, it may have been a bit overwhelming because you were so invested in the children. Not saying that you may not be now, but what, what differences are there in terms of leadership, would you say? I think the the volume of issues that you're dealing with in a state school is likely to be higher. So independent schools, we do actually have a lot of the same issues. Um, any of the challenges that can befall families in state schools do in independent schools as well. So whether that be divorce, whether that be bereavement, whether that be mental illness of a parent, all of these things affect children in families, no matter which school they go to. But independent schools can be dealing with fewer of these cases, because at least for many of the children, although not all of them, their material circumstances aren't a barrier. So that can definitely be a difference. And obviously, the clue is in the name, independent schools have more resources available in terms of making decisions about what they want to do, where they want to put their money, how they want to prioritise the education of children to work with that. So, for example, at St Dunstan's, we have invested in a wellness centre that focuses on mental health and physical health for our young people. And that's something that we were able to decide we wanted to put our capital investment into. We have redesigned the timetable so that we have a lesson a week where we are talking about mental health, about neurodiversity, about compassion. And so we just have those freedoms in our leadership to think this is the problem that we're presented with. How can we respond to that problem in a different way? And I think being free from 
some of the demands of the Department for Education, although by, by all means not all, or a lot of them do apply to independent schools as well, just gives us a little bit of creativity and flexibility. Mm, interesting. That's really important points. And, uh, you know, I didn't actually think about it. Yes, it is an independent school, but I didn't even think about independent as being the freedom to do what you want. So, yeah, thanks for highlighting that. And so in terms of leadership, one of the questions that I think is important to kind of dig deep into is why do you think it's important to see yourself in leadership? Yeah, um, I think that is a really interesting question because I found switching to the independent sector, that was one of the big challenges. When I started at St Dunstan's, I was one of very few um, ethnic minority teachers at all in the school, let alone leaders. And that has definitely improved while I've been there. And we've put a lot of work into trying to improve that so that our children, who are very diverse, see a diverse staff body as well. But it is challenging and it's particularly challenging in the independent sector. And I think it can be incredibly daunting if you if you know you can't be what you don't see narrative. For example, I went to the national conference for deputy heads in independent schools earlier this year. And I was the only person there who was from an ethnic minority background who was a deputy head. As it happens, I'm not the only one. I was the only one who attended. I do know of some others. And I know it's something that the organisation HMC is really trying to work on. But nonetheless, it certainly was something that stood out to me to walk into a room and be the only person of colour is not something I'm used to living in London at all. And I'm fortunate that I am confident enough that it was a wobble rather than something that really knocked my confidence. But I can absolutely see how for many people they would look at that and think, well, there isn't a place for me here. And actually, the fact that in the independent sector, we are struggling and having to really work on recruitment of people from diverse backgrounds shows that it is having a negative impact at the moment. And we really do need to change that change that narrative change that visual essentially so that people understand that there is a place in the independent sector for people of all different backgrounds who have walked different pathways Um, and I know there are some schools who are working really hard on their recruitment processes to make sure that they they are not unintentionally biasing against people from different backgrounds um, in the way that they recruit so I think it's incredibly important for people to be able to see see people in these roles and actually more important than for staff it's really important for children yeah Um, and it's something our children talk to us a lot about because although we're doing well with recruitment of people from diverse backgrounds and I don't just mean racial diversity all forms of diversity absolutely um, from the children's perspective they want us to do more they don't think it's where they want it to be and so that's something we're really listening to and trying to respond to but it but it is a challenge and it take I would say it's taken us years for the investment we've put into this to start paying off with the applications we're getting and the people we're recruiting. Mm. And when you was um, speaking there you mentioned the wobble and you know you wobbled a bit but through you being you you were able to you know it didn't impact you as such but just to be kind of explicit what what is the wobble? Well, I think I do have a lot of imposter syndrome and that is something that I think some people believe affects women more. I don't know, but it definitely affects me. I think coming from my background and ending up in a senior position in a leading independent school is something that 
you know, I'm really grateful for, but sometimes I don't really believe it. Um, And so I think for me, that is what it is, is just thinking, you know, it's the self-doubt. It's thinking, do I belong here or can I do this? And, you know, particularly as a mother, it is a real challenge keeping all the plates spinning. Something I often tell people is actually you often can't keep all the plates spinning. So it's about selecting which ones are going to spin and which ones are going to drop. And so I think, you know, like everyone, I have moments of self-doubt where I, I just think maybe I'm not the right person, maybe someone else who doesn't have the ties that I have or who comes from the right background would be a better person for this. And then, you, you you know, you have to give yourself a bit of a talking to and say, actually, no, I am the right person for this. Um, you know, I am making a difference to the lives of these young people. And, um, you know, if it weren't me, who would it be? So there's those kind of, you know, two two voices on your shoulders, I think. Mm. And it's which one you listen to, which one's the loudest at the time, because at different times, one can be louder than the other, isn't it? Uh, and just talking about that then, so you knowing, yeah, I, I can do this. I know that you've had two promotions in, in short succession. So can you discuss that and, you know, how, how, you know, the steps along that way? Yeah. So I joined this school, St. Dunstan's as assistant head. So I was head of the younger years in the school. Both of the promotions were slightly accidental in the sense that there was just movement in the staffing and I was, you know, asked if I was going to put my hat in the ring. So I first uh, stepped up to become head of sixth form, which was an amazing privilege. Obviously, working with those students on the cusp of adulthood is is just incredible. And then, and I was quite happy to do that for a number of years. I, I you know, that was a, a dream job, really. And so I was quite happy that I would stay doing that for some time. But then our deputy head left and, you know, I, I wasn't going to apply. I thought it's too soon. I'm definitely not ready to be a deputy head. You know, the imposter syndrome running rampant. And it was actually some of my colleagues who said, well, we all think you can do it. We think you'd be a really credible person to do this. You should at least give it a go. And I was extremely doubtful. And actually, funnily enough, that has been a pattern in my life. It was the same with applying to university, where it's been friends who've said to me, come on, like, we believe in you. You need to believe in yourself. And so so I did apply for that role and I was successful. And I think the other thing, apart from friends being my supporters and encouraging me I had a real lean in or lean out moment so I was trying for my second baby at the time before I became head of sick form and I was very keen to just keep doing the same job I didn't want to make any changes because I was going to go on maternity leave and therefore the best thing to do was just to stick with what I was doing and actually my female line manager at the time told me you know don't be ridiculous like you that shouldn't be holding you back And I'm so glad she said that to me because it was the right decision. As it happened, I ended up having some fertility challenges this time round, which meant that it took far longer than expected to to have that second baby, which fortunately I did in the end. And if I had decided that I was just going to lean out, as it were, for that period, then I wouldn't have had these opportunities. As it happened, I then ended up having a successful pregnancy in my in my first year of being deputy head. So that was a massive challenge that I wasn't necessarily expecting because we had an inspection when I was suffering terrible morning sickness. (laughs) So working all hours and then sort of wavering, thinking, am I going to need to go and be sick? 
And then we had the pandemic. So it was a really challenging first year of Deputy Head because of all of those factors. But again, I think that's given me confidence looking back on it, that it will, if you can survive that absolutely incredible year and end up having a baby just before the summer holidays in lockdown, then, you know, you should have some confidence in yourself. Mm. And just in what you were saying, how did you navigate those feelings at the time? So, you you know, leading sixth form, wanting to have a baby, but also thinking about the promotion. Not quite sure, but knowing that you could do it. How did you navigate those feelings? I think it was just taking one step at a time. So getting to the stage of people having a discussion with me saying you should at least give it a go. Then, you know, writing the application, then thinking, well, maybe I'll get through to the first round. And so trying not to see the final journey and where it ended up. When I finally was successful and was appointed, I then had quite a decent handover period before my predecessor left. She went on to be a head elsewhere. And I must admit there were times during that that period where I just used to sit, go back to my, my office after having a handover session with her and my head would just be reeling. I'm just like, there's no way I can do this job. It's so difficult. And again, like fantastic colleagues would just support me and, you know, reassure me uh, when I just came back and I had the kind of cartoon style stars flying around my head <laughs> yeah yeah because like, it's all the absor- you're absorbing all of the information that sh- she's got in one yeah. day or over yeah. a period of weeks or months it's still a lot it's like a year's compacted and I think that's important to point out actually because you started off by answering about first of all I thought about this then I did this it's a small step not seeing it as a whole thing And I think sometimes when we're presented with opportunities or information, we feel that we've got to get to the end. We need to know it all now and be able to do it all at 100% now as well. But it's not quite the case. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same, so I can relate. It's like, you know, if only I could be in the matrix and have it all uploaded to me, great, you know. (laughs) But life's not like that. So we've got to do it in the small steps. And the small steps always work, really, don't they? So speaking about that, which I think is fantastic, just breaking it down into small steps and taking it as it comes. You spoke also about some of the different challenges. Can you just break that down as well? Because I think that's important for us to understand, particularly as mothers, what challenges or you've spoken about some of the challenges, but what was the greatest challenge and why? I think the greatest challenge was the fact that my personal life was impacting on my work life. And I, I, you know, I think that can happen in an organic healthy way where you don't see work and life as opposed. And so I don't really have a problem with that when it's in the right way, but because my personal life was really challenging at the time. So as we were trying for a baby, I was having repeated miscarriages and that was affecting my work and, you know, my resilience because it was just such a load to carry And so I think that was the biggest challenge because I wanted to be at work to forget about the pain of what was going on at home. But there were also times when I had to say to my head, look, I just needed a couple of days to get my head straight, uh, which he, he was absolutely fine with because I was trying to do my usual thing of just, I'll just power through and park it. And actually that wasn't the right thing to do. And one day you know, I just, my husband and I were both given the day off work and we just went for a really long walk 
in the countryside, just the two of us. My daughter was at school. My older daughter was at school. And so, yeah, we just went for a walk for two or three hours and just tried to clear our heads and process it that way. So I think accepting that I had had a setback that needed some attention and couldn't just be barreled through and, you know, yeah, my my usual method, I think, would be to just keep going. And that's what I've always done my whole life. Whatever challenges have come up, it's just keep going. You know, you're you're meant you're lucky, you're mentally strong. Sometimes it manifests with physical health issues, but generally I I feel quite strong and I just keep going. And this was a time when I needed to say, actually, you just need to stop and think about what's happening to you um, and give it some time and attention. Mm, thanks for being so open there. And it is you're right about just accepting it, really. And then then processing so acceptance so actually having the awareness first to then accept and then to process it as opposed to powering on through now let's think about you as a mother then how has that impacted your various leadership roles I think it certainly made my life a bit more chaotic (laughs) I rely a lot on family you know my husband my mum my sister who all help keep the show on the road. So it's definitely made me realise that we all need to be connected. The whole it takes a village to raise a child thing is something I definitely believe in. But as a leader, I think it's just made me a lot more empathetic. You know, I really understand that everybody is human and are going to have their own personal challenges, successes, priorities. And some of those will be parenthood some of them will be you know caring for elderly relatives some of you know there's all sorts that some of them may be wanting to be a parent and not being able to so there's all sorts of different things it might be but I think I really see leadership and motherhood in a very holistic way and it's not one fighting against the other you know we're it we're all just human beings and those are just different facets to us and I think the the way I I try and work it and deal with it is to not see them in opposition and work is taking away from family time and when I'm with my family I should be doing work you know when I first came back after maternity leave um the second one as deputy head my head teacher said you know um let me know what works for you in terms of um contact because obviously it is a senior role and it doesn't fit into you know eight till four necessarily and I said well for me actually I'm quite happy to take a phone call while I have the baby on my hip and I'm making dinner that doesn't bother me but it might not work for other people but for me if I can leave school at 4 30 and go home and have those golden hours with my children if you need to call me about something in the middle of that I don't mind as long as you don't mind the fact that there'll probably be children you know in the background Again, that's what works for me. For other people, they don't want that. They want to have the separation. So I think it's just being really honest as leaders, accepting that we do have responsibilities that aren't going to be able to be dropped at the end of the day necessarily, that aren't going to be able to be dropped in the school holidays. Those responsibilities as leaders of a school are going to continue all year round. But can you make that work for you in a way that doesn't disrupt your family balance? I remember advising a colleague, actually, who was um, a leader, a head of department who just had children. 
And he said, oh, I noticed you sent some emails at 9 p.m. Is that when you work? And I said, yeah, that's what works for me. Our organizational policy is that you can send emails when you want, but you read them at a time that suits you. So we don't have any kind of holding system. And I said, for me, I need to leave school really early. Very shortly after the children go home, I also want to be going home because that's the time when my children need me and we need to do dinner, bath and bed but I'm quite happy to then pick up my laptop later on and finish off some things that need doing. That doesn't bother me at all. But again, you've got to decide if that works for you and your family dynamic. My children go to bed fairly early. And so if I'm at work till 5.36, then I don't really get to see them. So I think as leaders, it's understanding that you you can't just drop everything. You have accountability to employees, to children, to parents but can you get it to mesh with your life in a way that's healthy? Yeah. And just everything that you're saying, it goes back to you being a human leader. You're a human first and a leader second. And you're demonstrating that in all areas of, of your leadership. There are many points that you alluded to there. And I like how you spoke about the way that you've adapted as well. You've adapted your leadership. Very interesting. So, Let's talk about a bit more then, a bit more into the work-life divide. What does that look like for you? Let's talk, let's think about, in fact, it will be interesting if you kind of spoke about your day. What does that, your actual day look like? That might be useful for listeners. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, independent schools are really busy. So that's one thing I think that is is different, is that we have shorter terms slightly but we have a lot more going on at weekends and evenings. So that I would say is the biggest challenge. So on one day of the week, I might have obviously the children up for uh, school and childcare. My husband, to be honest, does the lion's share in the morning. I'm quite poor at being able to get up really early and achieve things and stay up really late and achieve things. So basically I have a chunk in the middle where I'm really good at getting things done, but I'm not an early riser and I'm not a night owl. So I need to be very efficient. In so that you're the great feeling of the sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he does a lot of that, getting them ready while I get myself ready, which makes me seem very immature, but there we go. But so I take our eldest to school and he takes our youngest to childcare. Generally, fairly back to back throughout the school day. We're teaching with meetings, so I don't tend to have a lot of time for picking up emails, for getting, you know, things done. It's a lot of supporting my teams uh, throughout the school day. I try to get away between 4.30 and 5 if I can. I live about half an hour away from school, so come home with my daughter, who tends to take absolutely ages to find all of her things. We get out to the car. for She's on the same site as me, so it should be really easy to pick her up. But the amount of times we end up going back because she's forgotten everything. And then get home. One of us makes dinner. Food is a really important thing to me. So I do like us to have a home-cooked meal all sitting around the table together. It's very messy because my youngest is two. So (laughs) the clean-up operation is quite something. And then children in bed around 7.30. And then I'll probably start working again around 8, 8.30. And then... It depends how much needs doing, really, whether that's a kind of half an hour or two hour job. But then other times we have a lot of evening events, you know, concerts, productions, 
you know, the usual thing like parents' evenings, so admissions events. We have many, many, many admissions events in independent schools. So on other days, I might have one of my family will pick up my eldest daughter from school, so my sister, for example, and bring her home. And then I'll be staying on at school until kind of nine o'clock for an event and then come home. So those are obviously the harder days because I don't get to see the children very much. But again, you know, I'm lucky to have a long time off in the summer and in the holidays and to not have to put them in childcare at those times. So overall, I think for a working mother's balance, it's it's still a good one. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And I know that you've you had shared parental leave. Can you talk about your experience of this or, again, explain how that works for listeners who may not be aware of shared parental leave? Yeah, it it can be really complicated. My husband is a civil servant and unsurprisingly, as they developed the legislation around this, their guidance is really, really clear. And so we relied on that a lot to understand it because with our eldest daughter, it wasn't available. So my husband just had the two weeks of parental leave of paternity leave, sorry. Whereas this time it was something we were really keen to do. So the key thing is to work out the time and the pay because they don't entirely marry up. So I think that's the biggest tip I can say is to work out who's getting paid when as well as who's off when, because the two don't need to exactly align. And there's a certain number of weeks you can have paid and there's a certain number of weeks you can have off same as with maternity leave but you need to mesh that between two people so it's just a little bit more complicated so with the most uh, with my youngest I ended up being off from June to the beginning of February she was born in June and then my husband was off from February to around May June so to add up to the year basically and that was really amazing so you know the fact that he had that experience with her, not just for two weeks, but for months of being the parent at home. And that was a really incredible experience for the two of them. It's really affected their bond and their trust together. And also it's just meant that it's had an impact on both of our careers, not just mine. And it's something I've advised a lot of men that I work with to to do, to try and take that time off with your children, not just two weeks. Because two weeks, particularly when it's the first two weeks, it's just, you know, chaos and lack of sleep. I mean, it's not <laughs> it's survival, <laughs> yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, whereas taking it at another point, you can you can really enjoy that time together. And so... For me, I like to be off to start the kind of weaning process because that's such an important time. But after that, you know, my husband brings different strengths to parenting than I do. He's much more brave and courageous than I am. He'll just be like, right, I've got some nappies. I've got my keys. Let's go out for an adventure for the day Um, in a way where I have to plan and think through everything. So, So, yeah, it was really good. And I think just this idea that if a couple gets pregnant, that to expect that both the man and the woman will need some time off is is the right attitude and it will stop if if it works. And I know it's not successful across all industries and I know there's still a lot of barriers to, to men taking this time off. But when it works, I think it will show employers that you don't need to worry about hiring a woman in their 30s thinking that they might go off on maternity leave because any anyone can end up having a child and anyone can end up deciding to go off on parental leave and actually recently our our head was off on parental leave and you know we really encourage that and 
of course, as the head, he was a bit worried about it in terms of, you know, leaving the school that is your baby. But we just said, you know, if anything really bad happens, we'll call you. But otherwise, exactly. enjoy that exactly. time. <laughs> yeah, be human. <laughs> Oh, great. And so let's talk about a bit more then about the what, what your feelings on the gender pay gap disparity, because, you know, you're talking about working out parental leave, shared parental leave and who gets what. So what are your feelings around that? Yeah, it's really challenging, really. There's so many different factors that play into it. So I think, you know, there's there's the fact that people don't talk about pay and we still have, particularly in the UK, this attitude of, well, you know, it's it's private. We don't talk about it. And sometimes that wish to keep it all secret means that that there is a difference and nobody knows that there's a difference. So, of course, if you're an em- employer who has over 250 employees, you have to report on your gender pay balance. But, you know, many organisations, many schools will be smaller than that and won't need to do that statutory reporting. So they'll need to be checking that themselves. So I think the the kind of code of secrecy around it has not helped. Obviously, there's a lot of comment about women's confidence about applying for jobs versus men's confidence. And that whole statistic about women need to tick off 100% of the points on the job description, whereas men will see, I don't know, 60% and think I'll give it a go. Um, That applies to pay negotiations as well. And whether or not women feel confident enough to say, actually, I'm not happy with the pay that you're offering me. I think I'm worth X as opposed to a man. And I think that plays into it as well. And then finally, there are a huge number of overqualified women who, for whatever reason, didn't feel supported during the child rearing years to be able to continue their careers. And there's a whole myriad of reasons why they may have not been able to or have chosen to not do that at that time but you know I've worked over the years with some incredible incredible women who take on jobs that you know they can do with their eyes closed because they've taken such a big step back during the child rearing years particularly you know primary school and have not been able to re-enter their previous career at the same level which I think is you know something that employers need to really think about about the fact that, yes, someone may have missed some years of experience, however, they have gained other experience in life that is hugely valuable that they can bring to the table. And I, I work with some truly fantastic, fantastic women who, you know, are a great asset and I'm very happy to work with them in the roles that they work for us in. But I also know that they, they could be doing more, um, whether or not they want to or not is is another point but yeah and I think as well that there's a lot of confident women that are confident in the skills and everything but just not confident in speaking up about their skills so so you you can remain stuck just because you know not having the confidence to speak up and celebrate your skills you know yeah it's, it's a it's a tricky one but I think through more and more conversations and people knowing that what's available and being, like you said, being transparent. But you made a good point, actually, about when you've got over 250 staff, then you have to report. Not many schools, <laughs> particularly primary schools, have that amount of staff. So then, you know, in primary schools, we could be faced with that where it's not so transparent about the the. Well, particularly in primary schools where they have a particular issue with, you know, a largely female workforce, but 
still a leadership that's biased towards men. So there's definitely a kind of ceiling there that needs looking at. Let's focus on you. So who inspires you to be great and uplifts you? And yeah, who inspires you, Jade? Lots of different people inspire me, I think. We're not just one, but certainly my mum is one of them. My mum, you know, we had quite a difficult time growing up, but my mum always worked so, so hard and was a, a brilliant role model. You know, she could have decided that it was too difficult and we were easily in in the situation where we could have been on benefits but she had a big thing in her head where she needed to work and even though the the jobs were really hard being on your feet for hours upon hours upon hours she wanted to be the one who was keeping food on the table and so I think that's always been an inspiration to me and it's something I really think about in terms of women in the workforce that actually there are many many women who don't have a choice about this it's not a lifestyle choice it's a I need to do this in order to feed my family and my mum was definitely in that category so yeah she's definitely somebody that inspires me one of my friends who is a head teacher has always been my kind of teacher inspiration so she uh, was my line manager couple of jobs ago when I was still in the state sector and was hugely inspirational just as you know a credible believable feminist who knew what she believed wasn't going to take any nonsense and you know has ended up also being a mother and being a head teacher and as I knew she would being an absolute fabulous success of both so she's definitely my kind of teacher idol yeah so strong women yeah I think so Yeah, lovely. And are there any resources that you can share that supported yourself or you think may support others in leadership? I think I just like to do a lot of reading all over the place, really. I worked with teaching leaders many, many years ago, and I read a lot and worked a lot with Andy Buck, who has obviously done Leadership Matters. And I just found the way he presented things in quite... Uh, snapshot format so that you could just pick it up read a chapter really think about how you were leading how you were coaching in in that context and then you know leave it and come back to it I think is something that I really enjoyed as well as his ethos about you know the whole team supporting one another and if somebody needs to take a step back you know other members of the team coming forward and I think the way he presented that was something I always found really really powerful Mm, great and now we're going to go into the end bit where we do the free deep dive statements and a random question so all you've got to do is complete the sentences so being a mother has been an immense privilege as if you are a teacher and love seeing children learn then seeing how your own children learn everything there is to learn about being human is just a source of endless fascination entertainment and wonder that's so nice (laughs) i do have a two-year-old so we're in peak i need to learn everything about everything time at the moment so it's uh it's very visible (laughs) embracing life children the joy that they bring to life is just I wish I wish more people could maintain that you yeah. know it's like if you, you know. could if you could bottle the energy that my children have mm. I could do with it <laughs> mm, yeah definitely because it's just like you said it's the wonder it's just it's wonder that we need um, more of in the world particularly as adults so recently I have realized 
that it's okay for things to go wrong and to pick yourself up and just try again. And something I'm really working on is my whole kind of perfectionist complex and just accepting that I've been the best I can be and I've done the best I can. And that's all I can do for today. So just kind of letting go a bit more and trying not to control everything so tightly. And diversity is? Diversity is understanding that every single person comes from a different framework. So whether that be because of their race, because of their gender, because of their upbringing, everyone's framework of looking at the world is just going to be slightly different. So trying to understand that in order to connect with people is key. Fantastic. And your random question, you are in a supermarket but can only shop in one aisle. Which aisle do you visit? The resilience, the positive mindset or the clear boundaries aisle? I think positive mindset because that can help with all of the all of the above so positive mindset I think would give me everything I think resilience has ended up with a bit of a bad rap because it can turn into you need to be resilient because you just need to cope with everything that life throws with you and keep on going um so I think positive mindset is definitely my goal at the moment so being positive accepting that it is what it is and you need to just let go sometimes works for me at the moment oh brilliant fantastic thank you so much for being open sharing your wisdom particularly with us and just giving us a different insight into other aspects of education because i'm i i, I don't know but for me i'm not so aware of you know the independent sector and i'm not sure that many people are so thank you for sharing your wisdom just generally on leadership and motherhood well, thank, thank you, you for inviting me Jade has spoken about so many aspects of motherhood and leadership. What resonated with me was her emphasis on being a human leader and how motherhood and leadership do not need to fight against one another. What resonated with you? Please share on social media. If you're on Twitter, share your thoughts using the hashtags MTPTProject, Motherhood and Leadership and VoicingEd. Until our next episode, be safe, be well, but most importantly, keep growing. Remember... There is power in your voice and it all starts with a conversation.